Welcome to the Beyond HAE podcast. You're listening to the stories of people affected by hereditary angioedema, an ultra-rare genetic condition. On this podcast series, you will hear from people with HAE, their family members, and their friends who gather around, open up, and share their stories. We want to give a huge thank you to the U.S. Hereditary Angioedema Association for supporting this youth-produced podcast. We would like to thank Takeda for sponsoring this episode. We hope today's story impacts you. Let's meet our host for today. Hi, everybody. My name is Kobe, and I am so excited to be here today to welcome you to the Beyond HAE podcast. This episode is going to be part of our Day in the Life series, and I'll be your host today. Our first guest is going to be Bryn. Hi, Bryn. Hi. I would love if everybody at home from your little corner of the world could get a Bryn, a very warm welcome. And we feel all the love. We know you're there. Bryn, please introduce yourself. Tell us how old you are. Are you in school? Do you work? Just give us a little bit of the rundown. Yeah, my name is Bryn. I'm 19. Um, I am a sophomore in college. I'm studying nursing. Um, and when I'm not at school, I work as a pediatric CNA at a hospital here. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're involved in the medical field outside of being an HAE patient. Yeah. Now, what was your diagnosis journey look like? How long ago were you diagnosed? Was it a rocky experience? Did you have a, a, a doctor who was familiar with HAE? What did that look like for you? So I started experiencing symptoms when I was 17, my senior year of high school, and it started with facial and tongue swelling. And at first we thought I was having an allergic reaction because I'm allergic to peanuts and we were on vacation, had gone out to dinner the night before. So, you know, that was kind of a probable explanation. So we went to the ER, they did um, some testing and then they treated me for anaphylaxis and it wasn't really working, but you thought, you know, maybe it was just like a one-off. I was just more sensitive to whatever I had eaten and they sent me on my way. And we were like, that was weird. We should be a little more careful at restaurants, whatever. Um, and then it happened again a month later and we were at home. Nothing was going like differently than usual. So we we're like, okay, we need to start looking into this. And it happened about two more times and we saw um, a bunch of specialists and we actually went to my allergist who had followed me since I was a little kid just for normal allergy stuff. And he said, I think you have something called HAE. And I didn't really know what that was. And he said, you know, I'm not experienced in this. I don't like feel comfortable telling you like everything about it just because I'm not an expert in that area. So he referred us out to um, some specialists who did some genetic testing and then eventually connected us with one of um, the leading HAE doctors. So from my first um, attack to my official diagnosis, it was about four months. And I'm super lucky in that regard to have had so many people that if they didn't know about it, like wanted to learn about it to help me out, people who fought with insurance companies to try and, you know, find treatments that would help me. So it was about four months. It was a little rocky, um, but I am super grateful that I had that amazing support system um, in healthcare and with my family as well. Wow, Bren, you have a unique, I mean, we, first and foremost, we all have unique experiences. I think that's something that's like kind of the essence of our blood disorder. We can't necessarily bond over some of the details, but we can bond over how unique all of our individual experiences are. With that being said, most of my family members or people that I'm familiar with that have HAE noticed it very early on in life, whether it be a diagnosis or symptoms, whatever. But me, similar to you, I didn't get diagnosed until I was 15. 
-hmm. I didn't show symptoms until I was 16. And so it's very rare for me to hear somebody that has um, a story that kind of falls in line with something of that nature. So that's really interesting for me to hear. Now, you said you're 19 and you're a sophomore in college. This is when you were 17. Mm -hmm. So that was only a couple of years ago. Now, how have... How has your relationship with HAE changed? Or I imagine this was a complicated um, thing mm -hmm. to maybe accept at first. So how has your relationship with HAE changed and progressed over the years? Do you um, feel uh, kind of complacent? Do you feel like it ties you down? Or do you feel like you have a handle on it? And are you the only one in your family with HAE? That's two questions. Okay, yeah. So I am the only one. Okay. Um, in my family with HAE, like no. So that's why you went on this medical time. journey to. Yeah. Uh, got it. And so you had a four month yeah. journey figuring out why you were swelling. Yes. Uh, I understand you would think it was a peanut allergy. Of course, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so to the second part, how has your relationship changed? So at first, it was definitely really hard for me, especially it was my senior year, so everything was supposed to be going, you know, absolutely perfect, and to kind of hit that road bump was definitely something that I wasn't too pleased about. It kind of took a lot of kind of processing to deal with it there were a lot of times where I was like this isn't fair like stuff like that um but I realized that you know it is something that's gonna be a part of me and with me forever so in that regard you know like we need to figure out how to handle it but beyond that it's not like everything about me it's just kind of one of the things that I have to go through on a daily basis and since I've gotten you know better at managing my medications and doing like knowing what to do in the event that um, I do swell. That's definitely made me a lot more comfortable with it because when I was first diagnosed, there's just so much that was unknown. And I had, you know, little to no experience in the medical field at that time, but being able to kind of learn a lot and be at that age where I can, you know, really understand what the doctors are saying has helped me a lot kind of be not necessarily like happy about it, but you know, understand it's a part of my life and like I can manage it well. I know what you mean. I think there's something about the human experience. It's like we can't necessarily embrace all of our circumstances, but to be able to justify something in terms of like facts and knowledge, I think is kind of um, helpful for me at least. And so I understand what you're saying in that avenue of things. Now it's been two years since mm -hmm. you were first diagnosed. How in those two years did you find the HAEA, um, the Hereditary Angioedema Association, or did it find you or did your doctor reach out to you about the association? Did you, a Google search online? What was it? Yeah, I am trying to think back. I, my family was just kind of doing a lot of research, like yeah. just with doctors in the area and Oh my gosh, this is, I think you guys have like an online database of doctors that you guys are yes. like associated with. And we were looking at a doctor in there and then we just kind of started digging a little deeper into the website. So we were just kind of looking for one thing and then found a whole association and community. So, and I'm telling you, I kind of fell into the associations uh, similarly because my mom is an HAE patient. And mm -hmm. so she was doing a lot of her own research for her own purposes long before I ever had a diagnosis. And so it's, I'm telling you, I, I don't have the privilege or the disprivilege rather maybe of experiencing many rare diseases, but the, uh, the community associated with this one is something that I, I, I haven't seen. I don't, I, 
there's a strength in such a small number of people and it's you know big when we're all in the same room in the summit but when we're all spread across the world you know it looks a lot different and so that's why I love having conversations like this so we can understand each other on a, uh, a, a deeper than just a surface level oh hi nice to see you you know or yeah. whatever that may be so with that being said that was kind of a long intro I want to understand more about your day-to-day -day life and your typical life as a college student who happens to possess an HAE diagnosis what does that look like what do you do for fun uh your normal class days what is it yeah so one thing for sure, I always make sure I have my medications with me. Um, and that's something I was kind of not great about at first because I was like, oh, like, it'll be fine. But with something like that, like, that's not really a risk you want to take just being like, oh, like, I bet it'll be okay. So make <laughs> yeah. sure I always have everything with me in my backpack. I have like a kit of stuff in my work bag. So just being prepared kind of helps set me at ease but a normal day um I was really lucky this semester I didn't have any classes on Fridays so that was super nice I had a pretty great schedule this year so my usual day is I would kind of get up get ready and depending what time my classes would start I would maybe do a little bit of homework or look over a slideshow before then um then I would go to class usually meet up with some friends for lunch find a place to study on campus, do some homework. Um, I'm also a tour guide at my college, so. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, when I was touring colleges, I was like, I think it would be so fun to be a tour guide. And they sent out <laughs> like a like, um, survey about like who would want to be a tour guide. It was like me, I want to be a tour guide, so. No, I've never done that. It sounds like such a fun job to be a liaison yeah. to your school. It's yeah. actually really cool. Yeah, so some days I'm doing that. Um, I'm pretty involved in a couple of clubs on campus, so sometimes we'll have meetings for that. Um, I'm in a sorority, so we'll have chapter, and then depending on- You're uh, so busy. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm just- you're No, so it's okay. You cut out, so I didn't know if it was- Oh, oh no, no. I'm telling you, I love all the things that you yeah. do. Keep going. Yeah, so depending on the week, the month, some stuff in my sorority, and then work at the children's hospital, so- that is so amazing. And I think it's awesome to, now again, everybody has their own experience. Everybody's HAE diagnosis and experience is unique, but I, I love to see somebody who is so booked and so busy and living so quote unquote normally, of course, there's no such thing, but to live normally um, despite your diagnosis. Now I do have a question for you. You have all these things going on and you have this bag packed, right? You have all your emergency yeah. in case you need it. With that being something that's said and done, you know, already that you have on hand, do you ever have like offhand thoughts about HAE or your diagnosis on a normal regular day? It's not a treatment day. It's not a medicine. Day. Uh, that's a treatment day. It's not yeah. a medicine yeah, I got you. day. Uh, oh, and it's not in a day you're having an attack. You're just doing regular things. Do you think about your HAE often? Um, sometimes, you know, there's times in the morning where I wake up and I feel like extra tired or maybe like I ate too much salt the day before I'm feeling a little puffy and there's times where I like reach up and I touch my face and it's just something that's kind of become a subconscious thing like something I don't even realize I'm thinking about. But when I take a step back, it's like, you know, most people don't wake up in the morning and like touch their face to see if it's swollen. So, but it's not something that like causes me like any like distress anymore. It's just like, oh, like, let me check this out. And I think in the beginning when I was diagnosed, there was a lot of kind of fear and anxiety I had about just the kind of uncertainty and unpredictability. But I think as my diagnosis and my journey has progressed and I've like gotten more 
comfortable with managing it it's not something that I am as worried about because even if it does happen like I know what to do I'm not kind of you know sitting in just a lot of worry and like oh what am I gonna do like I don't know how to do this by myself so being able to have that experience and that knowledge um really has helped me not kind of think about it on a daily basis. That's an awesome answer. And I agree. I think perspective helps a lot and also distance. And so I feel like sometimes as you find more distance between the peak moment of struggle, you know, when you are first experiencing the tax, you don't have any idea what it is, you know, nobody knows you're struggling through the ER, maybe the distance and perspective of just knowing, I think what's happening um, helps sometimes. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot about, a lot, excuse me, a lot of it is about perspective. Now, I want to ask you, it doesn't sound like on a normal day, you're that affected by HA. Of course, you might touch your face or something, but those are just uh, kind of things, for lack of a better term, we have to deal with. You know, it's just kind of part of it. And I don't mean that in a way that's pessimistic. It's just kind of our circumstances. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to know about your future. Now, I, I know you work um, in the pedi- pediatric wing, and I know, is that where you're going to go? You're going to stay in the medical field? Um, that, that's your dream? What is, what's your penultimate goal in, the, in that field? Um, so, you know, life will kind of go wherever, but right now my main goal is to become a pediatric ER nurse and then hopefully move into some sort of, um, critical transport. So I wouldn't necessarily be a flight nurse. I don't really like flying, um, but something in the lanes of critical ground transport, um, after working in the ED. I understand what you mean about flying, by the way. I'm not a yeah. flying either. That's an awesome job. I'm telling you. And also to have somebody in the ER that can offer a compassion that isn't offered to so many people who have rare conditions is, that's awesome. Um, I want to talk about your treatment days. So yeah. we've gone from your regular day-to-day life. What does a treatment day look like? How do you fit it into your schedule? Do you maybe have a written calendar where you keep track of things? Do you do it on your phone? What? Give me the ins and outs. Yeah. So it is on my phone because I do my treatments twice a week. So I just have it like on my calendar and like it literally repeats to the end of time because I like didn't pick an end date for it. So that's just kind of how I manage it. Um, And my mom loves also has the same calendar. She loves to text me a little reminder. She's like, did you do it? Did you do it? I'm like, no, mom, I'm in class. And she's like, okay, well, it's today. I'm like, (laughs) no. So it's been awesome to just kind of, yep mom always on top of it so just kind of have that reminder because it's on my phone it's on my computer just being like okay sometime today I need to figure out when I'm gonna sit down and do it yeah for sure my mom definitely to this day reminds me quite a lot I'm 21 so I'm a little bit older than you but she will still text me our reminders and sometimes we'll even be on the same schedule and so it's it'll be sweet kind of we bond over having to take subcutaneous medication you know it's a little family (laughs) moment um, so you, you fit it into your schedule. You just figure out when you have to, I'm telling you the phone reminders are so helpful. My entire calendar is also in my phone. Now, when you're taking your medicine, is there a form of entertainment? Do you prefer, do you talk to somebody on the phone? Do you watch TV, listen to music? What do you do to distract yourself from yeah. the treatment at hand? Or do you not? Yeah. Um, usually I'm just on TikTok because it takes kind of Uh, I'll just be scrolling seeing texting people back nothing too crazy um yeah it's kind of gotten to the point where it's not something I need to like really focus on 100% so I'm able to kind of you know be on TikTok or talking to my roommate so it's just kind of one of the things I'm doing just have to you know take a few moments in the day and do it but it's good that I'm kind of able, I'm comfortable enough with doing it that it's like, oh, like, let me text so-and-so back about dinner while I'm doing this real quick. 
Yeah, for sure. It's just kind of like something that has to happen. You know, it, it's almost like background noise, except the background noise is needle uh, connected to you. And, and yeah. um, now you said you have a roommate. How did you explain uh, this? What did you say? How did you explain your treatment? How did you explain your experience? What did that look like for you guys? Yeah, so we actually became roommates because both of our original like sophomore year roommate plans fell through. And we just met up um, at Starbucks on campus just to kind of get to know each other. And I was like, okay, here comes a part of the conversation when I tell you I have a rare disease. And she was like, what? And I was like, no, like, it's all good. I just needed to like, let you know. And some people aren't as understanding of it, just if they're not like comfortable with the idea of it or which isn't really something that they need to be comfortable with because it's like, you know, something we go through. Um, if you kind of get what I'm saying there, but she has been awesome. Um, there's days when, you know, I am swelling and she'll get up for class and she's like, Hey, like, uh, do you want the lights on or off so you can rest? And she's been super awesome through it. I just kind of explained what it is. And she is also like in a pre-health profession. So she wanted to know like more and more about it. Oh, and she totally. asked me like the questions about like things on a cellular level. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, girl, you're gonna have to consult Google. I do yeah, not. Yeah, I was like, that. you're gonna need to maybe find another resource for that. But Absolutely. she's been really understanding, which is something I'm really grateful for because there's yeah, sometimes totally. people who don't necessarily that's understand. Um, but that's amazing. I was gonna say when I went to college, I was so afraid that I was gonna have like some boy that was gonna be so mean to me that I literally didn't have a roommate. I called the accessibility people yeah. and I had a note and I explained the situation. And so that's also an option. Sometimes when you go to school, you can work with the accessibility people and they will accommodate your needs. But I love that you had an amazing experience with your roommate. Um, and it's cool maybe that you're both of, of I was gonna say a medical vernacular, but I actually don't think that's that's okay I don't think that's how you use that word I think vernacular is like a category of like language and speech it sounded right it sounded well, very is, eh, you know it's not a grammar lesson I want to ask you about you you mentioned your attack days your roommate uh, is gracious yeah. we'll ask you about the lights etc when you have an attack day whether it be a breakthrough or something you're not expecting mm -hmm. what does that look like how does that disrupt sorority life your clubs your hobbies yeah. your classes your work what is that how's that happen yeah, so it is kind of tough. I try to do as much as I can, but the number one thing is taking care of yourself. So I, because it is a medical condition, I'm able to get like a lot of excused absences. Like people don't hold it against me or anything. Um, I will say I'm very lucky in the sense of the people that I work with are very understanding um, of all of that. And one thing that kind of helps me in terms of classes is in high school, I had a 504 um, for absences and kind of due dates. Um, to help with that and my school at least um college they don't really do 504s but I have like a plan with our accessibility services office so that gets sent to all my professors at the beginning of the year and usually I go up and talk to them just so they know who I am and they're not just you know clicking acknowledge on the email so that's something that really gives me a peace of mind with school um and kind of managing that like knowing that that's kind of one less thing I have on my plate if I am kind of having an attack day. Yeah, okay, so there's two follow-up things I wanna say in mm. response to that. A 504, that's just a notice that you have a condition that would require you to need more time for certain assignments, tests, things, et cetera, is that what that is? Yeah, so a 504 is um, like federal law and it is 
basically a document that helps people who have any sort of like condition or even if it's not active like a record of having a condition get the accommodations they need in order to be successful in school so it is kind of similar-ish to an IEP um not 100% but it's the idea where you would sit down with um a like person at your school, either like an administrator or someone who works in special education. And you have a meeting with your teachers and they kind of like sign off on it being like, yes, I have seen, you know, Bryn struggling to right. like be in class because she's at home or in the ER. And then everybody signs off on it and it means you are 100% protected. So if you have a professor that's kind of like, well, I don't excuse absences. Well, you will be and I yep. know what you mean because oftentimes people will run it. Some teachers are super accommodating, super kind. Yep. On the other hand, some teachers are not. And some teachers really don't understand the severity or the rareness of what it is we're talking about. And they think it's like, oh, you know, my cat got lost in Bermuda or something. And it's not just a no. random excuse that's laced with nothingness. And so yep. uh, that's awesome. Another resource. That's why I wanted you to explain that. That was my first thing about your statement. My second and you also mentioned that your clear communication with your professors is something that helped a lot with your experience. You said you would send the emails and you'd also follow up in person, mm -hmm. FaceTime. And something that I was just going to include in this conversation is that hereditary angioedema in a lot of ways kind of shackles us to activism. And I don't mean that in a way that's negative because it's not a bad thing that we have to you know activate crowds and activate knowledge and you know wake people up and tell them about things they don't know that's how the world moves on and progress and changes and it goes around in a circle but what i mean is that you have to kind of embolden yourself to have a lot of conversations that some people might find awkward especially in this day and age of screens and texting nobody likes to talk to people anymore and to have to walk up to a teacher and say hey i have xyz and this is what that might mean for me and this is how this might challenge you and i it's not always an easy thing to do but i do find that it is like the number one best way to ensure that you um have like covered yourself you know yeah. covered your back in school um, so I'm glad you brought that up. That was the second point that I was going to make. And so the unpredictability of an HAE attack, is that something, is there any other way that you'd cope with that besides assuring that you have, you know, everybody aware of what your circumstances, um, is you just, will you take the day off? Will you make the stuff up later? How do you come back from it? Yeah, it just kind of depends on the severity and how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to do kind of as much as I can, which maybe isn't sometimes the best. But one thing that helps me is just kind of thinking like, you know, if I'm going to swell, like I'm going to swell, like if I've done everything I can to prevent it, like doing my meds, like hydrating, you know, like living like healthily, if it's going to happen, you know, it's going to happen and we'll figure out how to kind of make up everything I've missed. Like things can be made up, like tests can be taken later, like you know, I can get my hours in at work. So it's just kind of finding, like knowing that it will be okay and it will get done. We might just have to do some rearranging is something that has really helped me, but was really difficult for me at the start because I was very much the person who had my life planned out 10 years in advance. And I was going to get married on October 7th, 2029. And have, being diagnosed is kind of something that kind of forced me to let go of that part of myself, which at the time was really hard, but is something that has served me in a lot of ways. Um, 
without being diagnosed, I never would have realized I wanted to go into nursing. So that's kind of one positive thing that has come out of it. But yeah. I know it's a cliche, but they say everything happens for a reason. I really do believe it to be true. I think what you said was perfect. When you started going into the avenue of you kind of have to be willing to rearrange, the point yeah. I was going to make as soon as you put the period on the end of your sentence was that I love to plan too, but you did it for me. I'm also a planner. And I think something that I've learned from HAE is that sometimes you have to be willing to fly by the seat of your pants. And just as a rule of thumb in life, sometimes the best things happen when you fly by to the seat of your pants. Do you know what that expression means? It just like yeah. means whatever. Plaza, I don't know where you're from. I'm country. We say some funny stuff out here. Bren, this conversation has been so much fun. It's honestly so amazing to see into your student life and see how you navigate it because I was doing the same thing just a few years ago. And yeah. I, I'm just so interested in seeing how other HAE patients navigated. It. it can be a challenge. But it seems like you've got a handle on it in your two short years since your diagnosis. I think um, I, you really seems like your head is screwed on tightly and correctly. And for that, I respect you because I it took me I was experiencing my diagnosis and on a treatment plan with assistance for years before I ever went to college. And you were very quick turning around senior year, getting a diagnosis, getting a treatment plan four months later and going to school. What the next year? Yep. Oh, that's amazing yeah that's amazing Brent. that's awesome so thank you so much for being here with me today and sharing all of this with me and with all of our listeners again wherever you are thank you so much for listening or for watching this amazing video podcast the beyond hae day in the life series my name is kobe once again this is Bryn. we had so much fun sharing with you today and we hope to see you next time bye 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 the information presented including opinions and recommendations is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No one should act upon any information presented without first seeking medical advice from a qualified licensed medical doctor. For assistance finding a physician, please contact an HAE advocate at 866-798-5598. The HAEA is an advocacy and research organization committed to actively engaging our community in a wide variety of grassroots activities that promote disease education and awareness. We provide personalized services to address the unique needs of people with HAE and their families, which include helping them secure access to and reimbursement for modern HAE medicines. Our great success in supporting clinical research has resulted in a variety of FDA-approved therapeutic options. We work closely with expert physicians to continuously upgrade quality of life through improving diagnosis and knowledge of the disease and encouraging a tailored, patient-focused use of available therapeutic options. The HAEA is product and company neutral and continues to enthusiastically support drug discovery research aimed at the next generation of HAE therapies.